Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of The Gun Show, presented by MTD CNC Global. Well, what is The Gun Show? Come on, guys, you already know. You've been listening to this point. But if you don't know, it's about creating the authenticity of the people, the humanness of the people who push the buttons on the machines, the marketers, the engineers. I mean, come on. We're all flying in planes. We're all riding in cars. Some of us can't even get off of our phones and laptops. You want to know who's making that? That's our industry. That's engineering and manufacturing. This is The Gun Show. So welcome back to The Gun Show. And I have a special guest with me. He goes by the name Chris Fox. And if you think you don't know him, you know his beard. You know his tattoos. You know his face. You've seen him walking around. And once you see him, you go, yeah, you're right. I know him. But we're going to learn a little bit more about Chris today. So, Chris, welcome to the gun show, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Glad you made mention of my beard. It's an important part of my brand these days. So. <laughs> well, we all got to do a little something to get recognized. If we were musicians of some sort, which you might be with that beard, I'm not talented enough. We'd be doing something funky to grab attention there, too. So uh, whatever works, brother, it looks good on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a musician, too. So, I mean, it's there, right? I mean, you got to get, you know. Bring your personal world into your professional world. That's what it's all about. I absolutely agree. So, Chris, let's get to know you a bit more. And and we might know the Viking-looking dude walking around the trade shows or the ones we talk to about marketing, maybe on Zoom meetings. But let's really get to know you. Would you mind sharing a little bit about who you are as a, as a young man and, and maybe the growth of who you are today and, and how you got into the industry that we're in right now? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I, I graduated from college um, with a degree in English and philosophy. So I decided a long time ago I didn't want to make any money ever. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and actually, I started my work. Uh, I graduated from college in 08. So I graduated in the best jobs market we've, we've had in a long, long time. <laughs> and, uh, and so because of that, um, you know, I, I found myself immediately struggling to find a job as, you know, any sort of editor or writer anywhere. And, uh, and I actually ended up being working in a car shop. And, uh, and that's kind of was my first real exposure to any sort of manufacturing, engineering, hands-on stuff. I'd always been good with, you know, dabbling in, in technology. I, I did well in shop in high school, but it was never like a true interest of mine. It was a part of my repertoire, but that was it. But then, um, yeah, when I found myself in that space, I found I was excelling at it and enjoyed it. And then shortly thereafter, when the economy started to recover a little bit, I actually entered into the journalism space of the manufacturing industry. And uh, I, I wrote for an engineering publication, which I believe is no longer around, and then transitioned to uh, manufacturing.net, which is, uh, uh, I think it's still around these days. I think uh, Industrial Equipment News now owns that brand. Um, good group of guys. Actually, I think most of those guys are still busy in the journalism space. And, uh, but that was my first like real heavy exposure to like true, like what we know, what you and I know as the manufacturing industry, right? The engineering space. And, uh, and, and so I, I spent a few years doing that and then realized that there was some real cool opportunity to start doing marketing because I knew how to write and I wanted to dabble in video. And, uh, and so I got a job actually with, uh, with a great brand that I'm still a huge fan of, which is Tormach. And uh, I, I work with them even to this day as I run my own business. And their, their, their philosophy and everything, that their mindset behind manufacturing is to try to create this, this, this space that, that encourages entrepreneurialism, especially in, in the United States, which is such a cool opportunity there to get machines in the hands of people. You know, there's usually for the longest time, there was such a, a gap between, you know, well, if you want to make something, you, you need to have lots and lots of money and lots and lots of equipment. These machines allow that, you know, lower that barrier a little bit. And so that was a really cool space. I really got engrossed into the, like the maker movement and that sort of thing while I was while I was there. Um, I spent some time uh, working for, for a marketing agency in the manufacturing space. And now I live in the middle of nowhere in Arizona and I run my own kind of content engine for manufacturing um, where I do a lot of writing, a lot of video and, uh, and all that kind of stuff for manufacturers in the industry. I still, like I said, I still do stuff with Tormach. Um, I've worked with Akuma and Makino a little bit. Um, I also uh, work regularly with some of the brand ambassador folks in this space 
Um, John Saunders specifically, he's, he's a great dude. And I, I talk with John regularly and we, we do some projects together and things like that as well. So it's, it, it's, it's now in my veins and I still, and my writing and stuff like that is still there, but the content is married into something that's really cool. And what I love about this industry and you, like you said in your intro, there's all these things that we use every single day. And it's, what's really cool is when you start going behind the scenes, you start to recognize where this stuff actually comes from because it's got to get made right i mean it's not like someone's picking i mean this this my cell phone has to be assembled it can't just show up and be programmed it's got to have some sort of you know somebody's got to create it and wherever they are whatever they're doing it's such a cool thing to just experience that and so with that you know i i i, I dabble like i said in in marketing and in, in manufacturing space but then i also do some writing for engineering.com so i like to see both the creation like napkin sketch concept idea to products actually getting made. And it's really cool to kind of see that arc of transition because so many people don't even know that what happens in that arc, you know, and, and even engineers that are on the far concept end don't fully understand how things have to get made. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a machinist that complains about, you know, an engineer wanting a square inside corner. They don't understand that, you have a, a, a machine with a round turning tool that, you know, you can't make square corners. It just doesn't work. So that's, that's one of those really cool things is to kind of see that dynamic and understand how things get made from beginning to end. Well, firstly, just let me say, coming out uh, with those two degrees in 2008, um, congratulations on not being homeless. And, uh, and, and really, you know, kudos to you there. Uh, well done. And obviously that shows your, your skills and capability. Um, you did a few name drops there, which I love, uh, John Saunders. Yeah. Fantastic guy, uh, NYC CNC putting out some great content. Um, I actually coincidentally made a post recently on LinkedIn, uh, talking about how guys like yourself and John and myself and my buddy Titan and making chips who you're friends with as well. And so on and so forth. We're, in this together. This is not competition. This is, we're in this together because it's important that this industry has uh, a voice that can convey the significance of what we create. You mentioned your cell phones, you missing the technology, but on a global scale, we've someone, I would, I would say that we've somewhat been looked down upon in the manufacturing world as dirty, grimy people in a machine shop, right? And maybe it's the misfit ways that some of us are, the fact how we got in it, but at the same time, that's not necessarily true when we talk about now the automation and, and some of the cleanliness of the shops. And yeah, there's dirty shops. Don't get me wrong. And I love those shops <laughs> just as much as I love the clean ones. But the stereotype needs to be broken. And people like yourself are helping us do that. So let me just say thank you for that. Um, and, and in doing so, you and I had talked a little bit about the engineering and manufacturing world and Although we are getting better, we're still, I would say, we could use a little work in the marketing side of things. Um, where do you think we could use the most help? Yeah, well, and that, like you know, we, we talked about that before. I mean, that's the, that space is so tricky, right? Because, I mean, manufacturing as an industry, manufacturing and engineering as, as industries are not early adopters, right? And, and, and I've actually written pieces about this a number of times. I mean, there, there's a number of justifiable reasons why we're not early adopters, right? I mean, whether you're talking capital equipment, you know, change management, or, or you know, I mean, something much scarier where like failure, right? I mean, if, if you spend a bunch of money on something and it doesn't work, not only are you out money, but you're out lead time, you know? And so these are all big, scary things which make manufacturers super hesitant for any sort of risk at all, let alone spending money on something like say marketing, which you're kind of throwing money into the void and hoping something good comes out on the other end, right? But it's not that way anymore. And, and that's, that's what's interesting about where myself and there's a few, like I mentioned before, there are a few other um, main businesses that are, that are marketing agencies for manufacturing that get this. But unfortunately, there are a lot of agencies out there that see manufacturing as this low-hanging fruit, right? They know there's a ton of money in this space. They know B2B is super, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunity. And as manufacturing grows, there's going to be even more opportunity. So they want to be a piece of that, right? They, they want to jump in and be a part of that, but they don't know manufacturing. 
And that's, that's a concerning issue because then you have these agencies that are pitching these super crazy high level opportunities to gain leads and, and, you know, get visitors to your website and everything else, but they don't know what they're talking about because this industry is different. And that's, that's where I think, like you said, I mean, we're all, we're all kind of friends in this space. Like there really isn't and shouldn't be any competition because there's tons of manufacturers out there that need help. I think really the competition is marketers against trying to convince these folks that they need to spend money on these things because there, there is so much opportunity, <laughs> but it's not, it, it's not realized yet. And, and now, while some businesses, and I, I tell you, I've, I've run into this a lot where they say, well, we're fine with the work that we have. Why would we spend money on, on marketing? And it's like, well, okay, that's fine. But if you're running flat, eventually that runs out and it will run out at some point, right? And we kind of saw that a little bit with the Boeing stuff when um, when they grounded the, was it the 737? You know, when that suddenly happened, there were a lot of aerospace manufacturers that all of a sudden were like, well, that's our big client. Like, what, what do we do now, right? And, and some of them went under, unfortunately, but then a lot of them understood the pivot. And, and that's probably the key part is understanding like, it's all about communication. It's all about community in this space. And, and that's, I honestly, I think that's kind of a, a transition to solving some of that skills gap issue too, because for so long manufacturers, you know, they had their team of machinists and they were like, well, these are our guys. And you know, they're, they're, if they're, their guy can threaten to go to the shop across the street for more money. And suddenly now, not only are you, do you have to either pay him more or lose him, but now you know, that, that's opportunity cost. And now you're competing against them, not just for clients, but for um, employer or employees. You know, that that's that's not the right way to do it. Instead, we need to usher more people into this space. And that's where marketing comes in too, because, you know, you look at a Pepsi commercial, how often do you see people actually giving a shit or drinking Pepsi in a Pepsi commercial, right? I mean, that's all about lifestyle and the exciting thing, I mean, Red Bull, Red Bull is the perfect example. You'd never see someone actually drinking a Red Bull in a Red Bull commercial unless it's the cartoon one. But in any of their other marketing efforts, all of their other marketing efforts are based on people doing these extreme sports, doing this crazy stunt stuff that apparently Red Bull gives you the energy to do. Who cares? Red Bull's branded all over it. Manufacturing is, like, like you said, they've got that dirty, grimy mindset from the outside and and that's the thing is well there is some of that we embrace those of us that are in it embrace that or you find spaces that don't have that because there are plenty of spaces that i mean you have medical you have aerospace you have i've i've seen some of the cleanest shops in my career that i mean like eat off the floor clean and i mean it's cleaner than my house <laughs> and it's and it's a manufacturing space you know so i i think that that's the that's the biggest gap that that I see in this space is that there, there's no the the projection of what folks in our space do needs to be larger and it needs to be really show off what we're doing and and there's there's a lot of stop gaps to that but I think there's a lot of opportunity there if people just start documenting what they do share those stories tell those stories you know hire people like me to tell those stories for you you know I mean there's 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 so much opportunity out there that it I I really feel like it's hard to fail if you find ways to quote unquote market, but really it's you're sharing these stories and pushing out this content that really kind of reveals what we're doing in this space. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that, Chris. I really do. I want to revisit what you said about competition. Um, yeah. Because it's not with each other. And you said it's conveying a message or convincing the guys that they need marketing in a space where it's, you know, typically hadn't been utilized to its full potential, right? And when we when I think of it, the first thing that pops in my head, and you mentioned Pepsi, and somebody goes, well, we're doing good. Well, the first thing that pops in my head is someone like Coca-Cola. Well, so is Coca-Cola. In fact, they're probably the largest on the planet. And you see a commercial just about every other commercial when you're on TV. So obviously it's still important, even if you're a big dog in the fight. Yep. The, exactly. the other thing I want to revisit, because I think that what you said was, was important, is 
people want a piece of the pie when they see money there. So there's a lot of, and, and I don't ever want to talk down about any person or company. That's not my responsibility. I want to promote everyone as often as I can. But yeah. I, think it's, I think it's responsible of us to pay attention to when someone is doing something just for money and when the message that's being conveyed is learned through years and years of dedication to an industry. And I don't want, as much as I love seeing really incredible, beautiful videos that come out but have no understanding of our machining technology, personally, I would rather see somebody pick up a cell phone machine, uh, take a video of what they're machining right there when the machine's an absolute mess, post that online and tell me how you did it, then investing, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 on a video where professional lights come in, tarps come in to protect glares. We all put makeup on to make sure we're beautiful enough for the camera. Like to me, the industry of fashion and design, when you think about that, they, that's what they do. And you meant you brought, you talked a little bit about that, you know, What's the image of the industry? A Red Bull is to give you wings and help you fly, right? You know, if it's going to be another, if it's going to be sunglasses, what are you protecting from? How beautiful do you look? If it's clothes and suits and dresses, it's that same. But with us, it's a bit different. And I think we need people like yourself to go, okay, well, I'm going to come in and I'm going to talk your language and we're going to talk about this in the way that you want it to be conveyed and not just make a pretty smoke and mirrors type of thing to make you look good. Right. Well, and, and what's interesting too is like I think, you know, not just marketers like me in this space, but but you know, people who are are spending those dollars, they get they get myopic in the sense of they don't fully like you have to step away from your baby to to recognize exactly the right way it needs to be pitched. And you know what I mean? Like, and maybe you have an ugly baby and that's okay, but you have to kind of navigate it, right? <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying, like the the idea of um, being in being in this space and, and navigating how how to portray this message, people. I mean, they, they'll they'll kill a project because all they'll what's the right way to say this? They will kill a project because they'll think about it so much that by the time they get to actually making it, it's not worth making anymore, right? And I, I've run into that with clients and, and a lot of times, especially in the video space, like that, what I'll do is I, I will give them two pricing options. One pricing option is, you know, let me do my thing. I know, I know this industry. I know your brand. Let me do my thing. You get this price option. If you want to pick it apart and you have some very specific things and editing techniques that you want to use, that's cool. But that's a different price point because at that point, we're going to, I mean, it's going to get real myopic real fast, right? Because you get so close and you're so focused on that one project that you forget that you're trying to market to somebody that doesn't even know what your product does. You know what I mean? Like people will, will uh, companies will, will delve into like, they want to talk about, you know, like I'm trying to think of anything, not, not company specific, but like, okay. So say, say you're dealing with a machine tool and they want to get like super in, into the weeds with, feeds and speeds and even more so like feeds and speeds with specific types of tooling in specific types of material. And then they want to talk about like very specific horsepower situations, like how, how much torque you're going to have in a certain environment. And that's great, but you're, you're, you're narrowing your field too far with a piece of content like that, you know, instead let's churn this stuff out, right? Let, let's find a good way to document all of these things without spending all of this time because because they think that there's this one big project like you said 20 30 40 thousand dollar video when it's like well then that video better do everything and anything it can possibly do because that's a big budget right if you can figure it out for significantly less money maybe you just shoot it on a cell phone and then hire a video editor or even figure out how to do some <clears throat> makeshift video editing in your space i mean rock and roll like it, it doesn't have to be perfect and that's i think i think that's what the youtube generation has started to teach people but we have i mean again we're, we're a slow adopt slow to adopt industry and so people still have the mindset like they did when everyone was doing just print ads they wanted to have this just shiny sparkly perfect ad because it was going to sit in the, you know an issue of modern machine shop 
for a month or two, you know, before I ended up in, in the restroom, you know, but that's, because <laughs> let's be real, that's where all the magazines end up. Yeah. But <laughs> I figure that's where people are listening to our podcast and scrolling through LinkedIn right now as well. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. the, I mean, the, the document might've changed, but the place of reading has not. hundred percent. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, um, but you know, you could you could spend all that time on that ad and making it perfect, but then it's like it's one and done, right? It's there and it's gone. And the the what the the new generation of of marketing and just content in general has really taught us is that it goes away much faster. And so then at that point, it doesn't matter if you spent weeks on it. It doesn't matter if you spent tens of thousands of dollars on it, unless you put some legs on it. It's there and it's gone. You know, I mean, it, it's very, it's very fly by night when in, in that not fly by night's not the right way to say that. It's very passive, you know, I mean, people see it and it's gone forever. Now, granted, you can keep feeding it, right? I mean, you can use marketing strategies and, and paid idea, paid uh, concepts and things like that to get things in front of people more often and more regularly and try to get more value behind the thing that you created. And that's great. But there also is a lot of opportunity in just creating a lot of content as quickly as possible. And it can be quick and dirty. It doesn't have to be this pristine, perfect thing. Now, if you're going to put money behind it and spend money on like an ad, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, at that point, spend some money, make it look professional, you know, hire somebody that, that can make it cleaned up and, and make it look good because you're going to put that in front of more people more often. But man, like I, there, there are so many opportunities that get missed because people just don't, I mean, you got a camera in your pocket. You know what I mean? Like bust out your phone and, this industry is tricky that way too, because I, and I, I hear this a lot is people can't take pictures of parts because they're proprietary or, I mean, there, there's, there's any, there's a laundry list of different things, but at the end of the day, like maybe you're cutting work holding, do that. And I mean, let's be real people in this space, see something, some weird set of work holding. They're like, Oh, I want to know what they're holding with that. Well, I can't show you on video, but maybe you can come visit us. And maybe now we have, you know what I mean? Like that's an opportunity to maybe get a lead because they want to see what the hell you're making with that weird work holding setup. You know what I mean? So there's, there's so much opportunity in that space. If, if people just create stuff, I think there's a lot more ways to see different, different ways to get people into your shop, into your, whatever you want to call it, into your DMS and your email, you know, however you want to define that. But there, there's, there's so much lost to, I don't know if we should in this space when really I think at the end of the day, other than proprietary stuff with clients, because you obviously got to walk that line lightly. Otherwise at that point, I mean, what do you got to lose? You know what I mean? Start putting content out there and, and, and build. Yeah. I, again, I agree. Uh, I want to go back to the magazine and the modern day marketing. Um, yeah. So the, the unique thing I believe that's happening now um, and you kind of said it comes and it goes. Let's put out a lot of content. And I agree with that. I mean, I, I mean, if you follow anything on my LinkedIn page or, you know, somewhat Instagram and Facebook, which I don't nearly do quite as much as LinkedIn, you'll mm -hmm. see random selfies of me on top of a mountain. And then a cool video that I create, you know, while driving a, you know, flying a drone around to then in all seriousness, an interview uh, with a customer mm -hmm. about a machine and a testimonial. So it's, it's different types of algorithms that go along with it. But the unique concept, I think, from it's it not being just a here it is today, gone tomorrow kind of a thing. And a magazine was a one month, two month, you know, before it goes into the bathroom, as you said, um, <laughs> thing that sat around is that we will use a year from now, most likely two years from now, certainly right now and a year ago and a year before that Google. We will Google everything. Mm -hmm. And what do we Google mm -hmm. first? Well, we look typically most of us go and Google immediately YouTube. And nowadays, LinkedIn as well, and we watch a video. Well, what's somebody else doing? How did they do it? Is there a success story that I can be a part of as well? And by utilizing things like YouTube and LinkedIn and Instagram and the proper hashtags that go along with it, it almost makes these things infinite. And so while we can create as much content as we want, it never truly disappears, which is also somewhat scary. Because if we do something really <laughs> dumb, which I do all the time, you can't get rid of it. It's there forever. So that's the unique concept of today's marketing is if we create, and you can do this really with, with digital magazines or with blogs as well. It's really all about, you know, connecting those hashtags. But if somebody does a Google search 
nine times out of 10, they're going to watch a video first. And then that video is going to inspire them to go to that company's website. So now we're thinking, okay, how do I create positive, inspiring marketing content, whether it be through a blog or a video, whatever it might be, my personal preference is video to inspire someone enough to then go to my website. And if they go to my website, my website better be on par because that's where they're going to, that's where they're going to do the bulk of their research. You mentioned it a second ago where you said speeds, fees, depth of cut, work holding, tooling, programming, you know, yeah, that's all important once you decide what machine you think you're going to go with. So we're generating the awareness to take people to a website. Now get your website together. And now this is a full circle type of thing, right? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, and I guess I probably got lost a little bit in my ramble there too. But yeah, for sure, like the social, the social aspect is hyper temporary. But yeah, I mean, content lives in, in longevity, right? And, and, and that is like, and digital is hyper recyclable. So yeah, absolutely. Like that's, that's exactly the value. Whereas I, I guess what I, my, my whole thing, and at, at one point, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the content marketing Institute at all. Um, A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, at one point I, I, I was working with some folks over there on some like keynote style stuff. And, and one of the things that we talked about was, you know, safe marketing is never good marketing. And that was kind of the, the, the diatribe that we, we rolled on with that. But really at the heart of that, it's, it's really about, you, you can't, you can't let um, making something, this perfect shiny piece of marketing content, get in the way of putting something out there, you know, and, and like you said, it does, you got to be careful about it because it will live forever. But there is some genuosity to the idea that if you put something out there, maybe, maybe you messed it up. Maybe, maybe whatever you filmed, maybe the number that you put in the video was wrong. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's any kind of number of little tiny little things that could go wrong in that situation, but that almost adds personality to your brand. You know, and I mean, the, the, the perfect thing I think of right, right away um, is, is, is with, with John Saunders. I mean, the, the Heimer conundrum, right? Because when you have a Heimer, they're expensive, but they have that breakaway tip. Well, that breakaway tip is expensive too, but at least you're not breaking the whole thing. Well, it's, a, it's kind of a running joke in, in a lot of shops that, oh, well, like, you know, who, who broke the Heimer tip today? Because... Now we got to go order another $85, you know, Ruby tip because that's, that's just the nature of that tool, right? You accidentally jog the machine ever so slightly in one direction the wrong way and that thing's broken. Again, you're not breaking the tool, which is awesome, but it's, it's, it's a giant eye roll with the tip, right? And so he actually came out with a little, um, you know, like the, one of those little calendars where it's been X amount of days since the last accident or since the last workplace injury. Except yep. it was about Heimer tips. And I was like, because because it was always, in, you know, you, that happens all the time. It happens on video. Well, then embrace it. Like, oh, you, you broke a tip? Well, that's kind of embarrassing, especially if you're, a, you know, you're trying to be a, a machinist. Like, oh, you should know better to not jog the, the machine in the wrong direction. Well, you know what? Screw it. Let's, let's embrace the fact that I broke this tip. Now I'm going to tell you how many days it's been, you know, and, and really – that that's that's the real value there. You can almost build a brand around that quirky off kilter content that you accidentally didn't want to post or something along those lines too. It's there's opportunity even in those downsides. And I think that's the coolest thing about just putting stuff out there is there's always opportunity to embrace some of that stuff. Uh, so true, so true. I mean, nobody nobody likes to go, hey, look what I just messed up. But at the same right. time, everyone does want to see what you messed up because. <laughs> Guess who else did it? Yeah, me last week and the guy the week before that. And this is this is how we humanize what's going on. Nobody's perfect. Are you kidding me? Stop pretending like we are. Yeah, like in 2018 when uh, a forklift driver dumped a machine off of a forklift at the, the IMTS. Like that, that I still see that picture circulating on the internet. And it's, I mean, it's fun. You have to stop and look at it because you're like, oh, and you know, you know that like that machine was sold to somebody when he was trying to leave. And like all those, deep, it's like, Oh, and if you're in this industry, you know how much that machine costs. It's not like just seeing a car crushed on the side of the road. Like that's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of opportunity costs. There, there's a lot of things that went into that machine being smushed on the floor. Like, 
damn, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if State Farm had that one insured or whoever else we're, we're getting our car insurance from. You mentioned the accidents on the side of the road. Right? I mean... <laughs> so what was that quote you said about safe marketing? Safe marketing is never good marketing. Okay, so I know this podcast is about you, but I have to share this story. Um, yeah. Safe market. So I was just with the folks at Method Machine Tools in Arizona. You probably know those guys are just a little bit north of you. And yeah. they've been machining this thing called the thinking man for a while. And a lot of people go, make me one, make me one. It's an 80 hour program, right? Ooh. So as a part of me being the silly person that I am and them already knowing me for many, many years and knowing that they were making the thinking man for a lot of people, they go, Hey, would you mind doing a thinking man pose on a stool while we're machining it? And I go, you know, the thinking man was naked, right? So we got, we went back and forth a little bit about, you know, going to the local Italian store and getting like a giant cannoli to cover me up or, you know, something like that. Right. But it, it, it ended up being just me with my shirt off sitting there. Like I'm a, I'm a thinking man. And the guy that's uh, Cody, who's, who's doing the uh, programming looks over and he's like, what the hell are you doing? You know, not safe at all is what I'm getting at. I mean, nobody wants to see me with my shirt off sitting there, but it creates a trend and a laugh and people go, what was it? What was, oh, okay. The thinking man, I get it now. And that's, it, again, it's humanizing things. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be naked with a cannoli, but I was willing to go in and have a little laugh with everyone. Right. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. I mean, and the, the, the use case and granted this, this gets a little distant from manufacturing because obviously we have to approach it in a slightly different way, but um, the, one of the use cases that I always use is the, are you familiar with the Squatty Potty brand? I don't know. Okay. I don't, well, I don't think so. You and your listeners, I mean, like if you have the opportunity, look up um, the Harmon Brothers Squatty Potty commercial. It's, it's brilliant. So the whole, the whole idea with the Squatty Potty is that you're supposed to put this stool when you're going to the bathroom and it's supposed to help you poop better. Like that's the whole premise. And how do you get people to, and they were on like Shark Tank and everything else. How do you get people to buy a stool to put in front of their toilet? So they do a commercial with a unicorn that poops ice cream. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, it is, it is brilliant. I mean, but here's the, here's the best part about it. The whole commercial is actually teaching you why the squatty potty is actually better for your health. So they get you to stay there for like five to six minutes because there's a unicorn pooping ice cream. That's brilliant. It's right. I mean, and like I said, it, it, that's it's a commercial product. It's a little more distant from from manufacturing, but these guys, like, they quadrupled their sales. They were on Shark Tank, and they quadrupled their sales with that commercial. You know, and so, but my point is, like, that wasn't safe, right? I mean, you're you're taking a risk. I mean, I, and 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 at that juncture, like within manufacturring. They're, they're and within any industry, attention spans are not necessarily shorter, but there's more content out there to consume. And just because, and, and this is a, a, a really great guy um, that, that I, I've followed a number of his things. Uh, he, the, the idea that because there, just because there's more content out there does not mean that people have the ability to consume more, right? Just because like, as I'm talking to you, I do have my cell phone sitting here just in case I get some crazy urgent email that I have to suddenly say, hey, can we pause this? It doesn't mean that I have the ability to read more posts and find more content out there, nor am I looking for more content. So instead, you need to find content that people are going to gravitate towards and be interested in. And that's that's all about like that's the that goes all the way back to the, the oldest methodologies of marketing. And it's grabbing attention and pulling people in. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what that's the goal of marketing in a nutshell. Now, whether pulling them in is keeping their eyes on something for more than 30 seconds, getting an email address or getting them to shake your hand and get a sale. I mean, no matter what, it's all about that kind of that moving from one spot and getting them down that funnel to a more solidified position for you. But it, it, at that point, you, you, can, you, can, you can create millions of white papers. If, if it doesn't grab people's attention, if it doesn't solve their problems, they don't, they don't care. 
right? No one's going to care about your, your, your marketing. No one's going to care about your content. So at that point, then you're only relegated to, well, I hope we have a pretty logo because that's the only other way people are going to ever find you. You know what I mean? And so developing those ideas and, and trying to make sure that people understand you got to, you got to take some risk and, and that's okay if it fails because then you can, and that's, that's something our industry is very familiar with is failing fast. If you can fail fast, you can pivot a lot faster and that means you lose less money and you can start making more the other direction. By taking risks, you fail faster. If you sit on the same mediocre plane, you're not going to know what's risky and what's not. And instead you're just going to keep churning through the same customers until they retire or they go to some other industry or whatever. I mean, eventually you're going to run out. And so there's just kind of this slow churn of mediocre customers. But if you take some risk and you push, there's more opportunity there. You might make a fool of yourself sitting there with a, you know, naked with a baguette, but I mean, whatever you got to do, I mean, there is opportunity. It's a conversation starter at, at, at worst, you know. Uh, Chris, that's incredibly valuable information. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sure the listeners are going, man, thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. So I'll say it for them. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. <laughs> so until we create the limitless pill that allows us to view all the content on the Internet, um, I'm not <laughs> sure if you've seen that movie or not, but pretty good movie. Um, where do you think in our industry we can focus and do better? I, it's, it's a, it's, I'm going to say something and it, and it, it's mildly controversial, but not, not in a way like when I say controversial that you think it is, but I've written some stuff about this and, and I've been thinking it and kind of, kind of preaching it for a long time. I think, and we kind of touched on it even is lowering those barriers of competition because I think there is so much opportunity that people have to just work together, right? Find ways, and, th- and this this goes for not just in a marketing aspect, right? Not just in my realm of, you know, being somebody who creates content in this space, but manufacturers in general, whether we're talking about like the OEMs that are selling people the machine tools and tooling, or you're talking about the guys who are running, you know, five, 10, 50 guy shops or girl shops, right? Whether, doesn't matter what, what tier in the industry you're on, cooperating and and communicating with each other is the best way to make that progress. And it's kind of a weird, like it's trickier in this space because not only is this space older than like say Silicon Valley software companies, but it's also more steeped in some of that tradition, but also we, we make stuff. So it's kind of, I mean, it's real, it's a lot easier to say, you know, this, this thing, this thing is mine right? This, whatever, it's got this shape, it's got this angle, this thing is mine. And if someone else wants to sell it, they have to give me some money. It's a lot easier to do that in our space than it is in like, say, a coding type of Silicon Valley space, because it's like, oh, well, maybe they'll find that code 10 years from now, maybe they won't. And it's just kind of buried in there. And there's so much open source stuff, maybe you can argue that's what it is. But the the, the thing about our space is, I, I think if more companies just even if it was just having conversations with those competitors and maybe even that maybe, maybe the like industry secret type stuff drives me just batty because that's some of the coolest stuff to get on camera from my perspective. And I can't use it because it's, it's proprietary and, and it's, but who is it proprietary from? Like really, I mean, really who's looking at this and granted, even if they did, how much money are you really going to lose? You know what I mean? Like now we're showing you and how well you do it. Are you really going to like, is, is someone really going to go over here? Like, well, this guy's cheaper. Well, maybe he is, but you know, I can do it because you saw it on video and I originated it. So you don't know he's, he's pulling that information from a video. You know what I mean? Like I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but, but I think what our industry can really benefit from is embracing the idea that having more open communication about the type of work that we do and discussing best practices, whether that comes to running a business or cutting apart. I think there's some real opportunity there. And I think there's a lot of business to go around. Now, obviously, there's some stop gaps there. I mean, there's, you know, depending on clients. And I mean, there, there, there's our limitations to that. And I'm not saying that everybody should open the kimono and, and 
offer everything up to everybody, right? But I do think that there's there are a lot of lost opportunities because folks just aren't communicating with each other. And I think that's where our industry could really improve. Go to IMTS and you see the little pictures. It's been a while since IMTS now, but then you can there's those little pictures that say, you know, no, no photography. And it's like, you're at a trade show, guys. Like, uh, sorry, you're, you're hurting yourself at that point if you're not letting people take pictures. There's opportunity, even if someone's going to steal something from you, there's still opportunity to communicate and share. And I think there'd be less incentive to quote unquote steal if folks were just willing to talk rather than putting up those walls and kind of hiding their stuff behind gates. Uh, yeah, good luck with that, by the way, Chris. Oh, I know, I know. Like <laughs> I said, this is, and, and like I said, there is a very fine line, right? Because there are there are obvious limitations, and obviously you want comp- you don't want to trump competition. I mean, there um, there was a recent Harvard Business Review article that talked exactly about this. How like there are strict it benefits everybody, but there are strategic ways to share properly, and I think that's what it is. When I say that, people are like. They immediately think like, oh, we got to open the doors and let everybody in. You, you get to see what we do. Like, no, 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 not, not that. That's not what I mean. But also people go the entire other way. You know what I mean? And, and like, you know, blackened windows and locked doors and you can't see, you know, you cannot even see things until they go out on the truck. You know, and that's, I, I think there's some room in between those two spaces where I think our industry could really benefit. I feel like there has to be, right? I mean, if you think about it, if you if we break this conversation down to understanding that a lot of this, I guess, tribal knowledge and, and lack of sharing comes from fear of some sort, whether it's fear of theft or, or reverse engineering or, or loss of profit or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, if we just break it all the way down to communication, then, I mean, think about it in your home. What happened if you stop talking? Well, your home might break down. You think about it in your community. Well, what happens there? What about your school? Well, same thing. So it's very yeah. obvious to me that the, the, the focus of communication and what you're saying there is incredibly valuable. And, and I also understand what you're saying is there's probably some people out there making things for defense that maybe we don't want to get out into the whole world, right? And so that's not what we're talking about. Yep. We're just talking about being able to sit down in a room with quote unquote competitors and hash it out, talk, see what's going on. You know, I, 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 you do too, but I get to work with a lot of people who embrace what they call competition, which I love mm-hmm. hearing about, you know, Oh, so-and-so is making a similar part that I am, but I'll buy this from them and they'll buy this from me. And we actually work together and we talk about how yeah. we can make, certain components better for me i've seen that real recently in like the automotive industry um with some of the folks i've been working with tony saloon over at vac motorsports and then i was just over at cp carrillo in southern california and they both work together yet exact same industry doing very similar parts and they both go yeah i know that guy you know and it so it does exist could it be expanded upon i agree with you i think it could be um but we are you know we are built on having to keep secrets sometimes, right? I, I don't know about you, but how many NDAs have you signed? I've, I've signed a bunch. I, endless, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and it's, so are, are you familiar with FIRST Robotics at all? I am, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so that's a, that's a great thing that, um, you know, gives kids an opportunity to compete you know, at a high school level by building robots and, you know, learning, understanding manufacturing, engineering, and, honestly, even marketing and things like that, because their whole goal is like, they have to run it like a business. So they have to, they have to, you know, go out to their communities and get people to give them money as part of a sponsorship and things like that. So I mean, it's, it's built like a business, but Dean Kamen's big thing with all of that is cooperation, which is competition, but cooperation, right? And like, so it's one of those things where it's like, if one of these kids has a, has a robot and then all of a sudden they, they get there and they realize their, their tools got stuck in at the airport or something like that. Right. They can, they encourage those kids to go around to their competitors and ask for help with those tools to, you know, to borrow a wrench here or, or whatever. I mean, whatever it might be. And they're encouraged to embrace that because really everyone starts to fail. If one of your competitors, but also peers starts to fail. 
you know, and, and really that that's a big part of manufacturing, especially in the United States is this kind of like, it's this intermittent net of folks working together to build this industry. Well, if one is starting to fall to the wayside and if they're falling to the wayside by their own problem, by their own fault, right? I mean, maybe they did something they weren't supposed to do or whatever. Okay, fine. <clears throat> they should fail. But, you know, if, if it's, you know, something like COVID hits and there are some manufacturing businesses that see an uptick in, in, in business and other ones that see a downturn, there's opportunity there to work with each other, find ways to, to develop more um, products that maybe that, that business over there can help bring, you know, offset the need, right? If you're losing co if you're losing workers or you're, you're just losing business in general, there's, there's a lot of communal effort within our industry that I think could be accelerated with some of that, just not full like dropping of the wall, but some lowering of those barriers. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I love that word, cooperation. I yeah. really like, it's the first I've heard it. I'm going to use it from this day forward. Because <laughs> I think that's what you and I and a lot of other people in this industry are trying to promote, you know, is mm -hmm. being able to cooperate in a competitive way because we need a little competition, right? I mean, right. If, we, if we weren't still out there on the, you know, football field or soccer field or baseball field or wherever, whatever we like to compete in, we wouldn't be better in ourselves. And that can be knowledge and that can be programming and machining as well. But cooperation, dude, I like that a lot. So Chris, um, you have shared with us, I believe, you know, a lot of, a lot of insight, a lot of wisdom, um, a lot of really valuable information, but I typically like to sort of close out the show with a piece of advice. I don't know if you, I'm sure you probably have endless advice um, and you've shared so much already. I'm not sure if there's a go-to for you, but I like, I like it to kind of end off this show with a piece of advice, either for someone who's, you know, looking to hop into the world we're in, um, looking to grow in the world we're in, or someone who's found themselves to be stagnant in the world we're in and could use a little bit of motivation. So any of those three, something that's helped you along the way um, that you could kind of share with our, our audience and, you know, give them a piece of Chris where they go, yeah, I'm going to take that with me for the rest of my life, or at least for the next week. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to give it to you in like a, a little sound bite, but from my perspective, I, I think the best thing, anybody who is either looking at our industry, um, thinking about our industry, or already in it, and like you said, feeling stagnant, I mean the opportunity to build skills in this space is just endless and there are so many people that are doing so much cool stuff on the internet that you can you can feed off of i mean so so for instance like if you're if you're just you know if you're one of the guys just pushing a button right and and, and all you do is load apart cycle start wait like if that's your job and you're looking to like expand there are tons and tons of tutorials for both for Fusion 360, for Mastercam, for, I mean, even SolidWorks Cam, like all the different platforms to learn how to program parts or, or maybe even transgress beyond that and learn how to actually create um, 3D models yourself. You know, I mean, there's, there's opportunity all over the place. And that's just one example. But the other part about that too is building or our, our Trying, trying to find opportunity by embracing something that, that interests you in this space. So if you're a machinist and you want to broaden your horizon a little bit, buy a 3D printer. You can get one for two, 300 bucks. I mean, now they're granted that they're not fantastic, but they work, right? Start making parts in, in C. And, and maybe there's an opportunity there, not, maybe for your, the company that you work for to, to buy something from you maybe there's an opportunity to start your own business. I mean, there, there's so much cool stuff in this space and there's such a gap of, um, well, gap's not the right way to say it. There, there, there is so much, I'm going to use a marketing term, but there's so much blue ocean that there, there's a lot of opportunity if you know what you're doing or even have an inkling of what you're doing that you can figure it out as you move into that blue water. And, and I think that it's that that's the if there's any piece of advice. I mean, I'm I'm a product of it. Right. I started in this space as a journalist 
and now I do video marketing. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? Like, but it's because I entered that space because I knew how to ask the right questions and I, and I talked to folks and I tell you what, machinists and engineers are not the most outgoing individuals. So when you put a camera in front of them, you got to try to coax some language out of them. And being in the industry for so long, I'm able to do that because I, I talk with these people all the time. If you can find some little niche thing like that, that you can just embrace, run with it, you know? And if, you're, if your company that you work for currently doesn't have an opportunity, start your own business because there's so much room for, for building that kind of stuff. Uh, well said, Chris. Well, I'm absolutely sure that there are people listening right now that are going, well, this Chris dude, he's pretty smart. How can I find him? Um, where can we find you? Where can we learn more about you? Websites, LinkedIn's, Instagram's, uh, house address, you name it. Where can we find you best? <laughs> well, I, I am on LinkedIn. Um, you know, if, if you search for Chris Fox and you look for the guy with the bald head and giant beard, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty obvious which one's me. There are a lot of Chris Foxes in the engineering space, but I think it's I'm such the only an unusual one. name. I don't know what you're talking about. I know, right. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure I'm the only one or one of the few that, that looks like I do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but otherwise, thechrisfox.com is my website. And that's just kind of a that, – that focuses on my content building and stuff like that. But I am very much a, a product of our industry. And I'm one of those people that even if you just want to bounce an idea or talk shop, I'm always up for figuring things out and, 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 and bouncing around ideas. I have a number of phone calls every week that have nothing to do with building – any sort of clientele. It's more just communicating and let's, let's have a conversation because I love this industry. I like once I started to find out how stuff actually got made, I got hooked and, and here we are today. So. Awesome. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, Chris, thank you for being a part of the gun show. And for those of you listening, remember cooperation. I think that's important <laughs> for us all to remember and again, thechrisfox.com. Look him up. Amazing dude, full of wisdom. Chris, I learned a ton today. Thank you so much for being a part of the gun show. Thank you. This has been a good time.